This is the case of Marion Barter, a mother, teacher, friend, missing for 22 years. You know, no sign that she was going to vanish, that's for sure. The bizarre circumstances surrounding her disappearance. I'm not sure if it was intentional or if there was something more foul afoot. If you could imagine a teacher coming straight from, say, Little House on the Prairie to the 80s, that was Marion Barter. Whether you find Marion Barter dead or alive, I honestly believe somebody has that key piece of information. And the relentless quest of a daughter to find her mum. Something had happened. Something has happened to make her leave. I am 100% sure, 100% sure that somebody knows something. The Lady Vanishes, Episode 4. Just a quick update ahead of Episode 4, which scrutinises the reasons why and how Marion vanished, as there have been many developments since the start of our podcast, not the least of which is a looming legal battle involving Marion's daughter Sally and New South Wales Police over just how much information Sally is entitled to under freedom of information laws. The matter is now before the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, with a hearing scheduled for late June. You'll see by this episode just how conflicting the information into Marion's disappearance is, and it's becoming increasingly clear that finding the truth will come at a cost. Here is episode four. Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. And I'm Brian Seymour. The days and weeks after Sally reported the disappearance of her mother Marion are a blur. Friends and family members tested their memories, trying to recall details of final phone calls, meetings, letters, for any fragment of a clue that may lead them to her. Hi. Oh, look, I was just wondering, have you heard from my mum? Had there been a sign that she was planning to start a new life? Who was she with? Was she unwell? Did she meet with foul play? Well, I'm just concerned because she's disappeared and I don't know where she is. After checking with a friend in customs, and thanks to a helpful bank employee, Sally determined that someone had returned to Australia through Sydney Airport on Marion's passport on August the 2nd. And for weeks afterwards, large sums of money were drained from her bank account, mostly at Byron Bay. Sally canvassed the tourist town with Marion's photo without luck. CCTV wasn't as prevalent or as sophisticated in 1997 as it is today. There was no security video near the Byron Bay ATM or bank branch where Marion's money was withdrawn. But years later, Sally would recount in a 2010 police statement her dealings with one of the bank tellers. Showed him a photo of Mum and I recall him shaking the photo and saying something like that rings a bell. He took the photo into another room to show the manager. His body language was different to everyone else's I'd shown the photo to that day. And when he came out, he took a photocopy of Mum's photo and asked me what he wanted me to tell her if he saw her. This struck me as being quite strange, and I got the impression that he knew something about Mum that he wasn't prepared to tell me. 
On October 22, 1997, Sally first reported her mother's disappearance to police at Byron Bay Station. The officer logged the matter as an occurrence, not as a missing persons matter. And if you look through the police files on this case, there are two dates. As well as October, the date of the occurrence is also listed as August 2, 1997. That was the day after Marion's last phone contact. But Sally is adamant she went to Byron Bay Police on October the 22nd, 1997. It wasn't long before she got a call back. The following is from Sally's 2010 police statement. In a matter of days, I got a phone call from Byron Bay Police. He had told me that he had located my mum and she didn't want anyone to know where she is or what she was doing. I think I asked him more about where she was and how he found her, but he told me he couldn't give me any more information because Mum had indicated she didn't want contact with anyone. I was absolutely flabbergasted and quite upset. But unbeknownst to Sally at the time, no authority had actually seen Marion in the flesh or spoken with her face-to-face to verify that she had really been found. And there was no official police record of the phone call taking place. Unhappy with the way police were handling the matter, Marion's father, Jack, approached the Salvation Army's family tracing service to try to track her down. This is an excerpt from the notes he gave them. Some details of Marion's disappearance. Pay particular attention to the dates. Departed Brisbane, 23rd of June, 1997. Re-entry, 2nd of August, 1997. The last card posted from Tunbridge, England, was dated 30th of August, 1997. So, Marion's last postcard was sent four weeks after she apparently arrived back in Australia. This had Jack raising questions. Did she leave the card for someone else to post? Was it Marion who arrived back on the 2nd of August 1997? There's been no unpleasantness in the family and the behaviour is foreign to Marion. Did Marion come back from England? He mentions the money that had repeatedly been taken from Marion's account and expresses disappointment with how police were handling the case. I asked what identification had been made. They said that the bank security had contacted Marion on the phone and had been told that she didn't want her whereabouts known. They said that the bank security were like police and they were satisfied with their identification and that if I wanted to probe further, get a private detective and start at Byron Bay. At the time, the Salvation Army requested a $30 fee for their tracing services. On February 12, 1998, Betty Brown from the Salvation Army Family Tracing Service sent a letter to Marion's father, confirming his inquiry had been received. Please be assured of our interest and concern. Your inquiry will receive our best attention. May God bless you. Yours sincerely, Betty Brown. Just five weeks later, the Salvation Army Tracing Service sent Marion's father another letter, claiming his daughter had been identified withdrawing money 
at a different bank and that she spoke of starting a new life. The family had assumed that letter was thrown out and for more than 20 years they've based their assumptions that Marion was identified on the contents of that missing letter. Missing until now. After episode one of this podcast aired, Sally's cousin, living in Japan, searched his family box of records and found the letter from the Salvos to Marion's father, dated March 18, 1998. Dear Mr Wilson, Just a short note to confirm our recent phone conversation and say that I have been talking at length to police missing persons, who in turn contacted the security officer at the Colonial State Bank at Ashmore at Southport and after lengthy conversations were able to advise that it was definitely your daughter Marion who went in and withdrew the balance of the money at Ashmore on the 15th of October 1990 and spoke of starting a new life. Yes, the letter does say 1990. It is difficult to understand how that could be a typo. 1990 instead of 1997 as the numbers 7 and 0 are not next to each other on the keyboard or number pad. But if it should read October 15, 1997, this letter is saying Marion went to another bank near her old school at Southport, where she could have easily been recognised, more than two months after her elaborate efforts to vanish, and one month after spending weeks withdrawing money from her account at the Commonwealth Bank in Byron Bay. The letter goes on. I do hope that eventually Marion makes contact again, as it must be distressing for you to be totally out of contact with her. We are returning the photographs loaned for the inquiry. May God bless you. Yours sincerely, Betty Brown. So, had Salvation Army investigators really tracked Marion down? Or had they just spoken to the missing person staff, who claimed they'd spoken to a bank security officer, who apparently confirmed her identity, without any details as to how? Ultimately, at the time, that letter was enough for Marion's parents and her sister Deirdre. They were quite sure that it was Marion, and they were sure that it was Marion because she'd actually asked them some questions which somebody who wasn't Marion wouldn't wouldn't have known. They told my father that Marion was angry at Sally because she had an agreement with Sally that Sally would sell the card and put that money in Marion's account. And Marion was angry at Sally because she was expecting that money to go in and it hadn't gone in. So my father decided, well, Marion would be the only one who knew about that. So I think he was reasonably satisfied that they had in fact found Marion. And she said quite openly that she wanted to start a new life. She didn't want to have anything to do with any of her present family. You know, so from the police descriptions and Salvation Army, she wasn't really missing. She just didn't want to be found. She just wanted to go off by herself and start again and start clean. And she should have a right. She's 52 or something at the time. She had a right to do that if she wanted to. Hurtful it is, yes, very. And it was devastating for my mum and dad. But that's what she wanted to do. What, what can you do? You have to accept it. Before Marion left, Sally had agreed to sell her mother's car if she could and deposit the money into her account. She says she sold the car for $7,500. This is from her statement to police. 
In a fairly short period of time, my grandfather told me that the family tracing service had located mum and she said something like, you can tell them to stop looking for me in Byron Bay because I am far, far away and tell Sally I'm angry with her for not putting money in my account for the car. I had talked to my grandfather to work out what to do with the money. He didn't want me to put it into her account if someone else was using her account. But on the other hand, I was feeling guilty in keeping the money from her. Grandfather told me to keep the money for myself. Sally also traced Marion's Medicare and private health insurance receipts, finding out which medical procedures she'd had in the months before she went overseas. There was no major health issue that she could identify, although there is one irregularity. Marion's Medicare card was used in the small New South Wales city of Grafton on the 13th of September 1997. A police check with Medicare has confirmed this. Grafton is about 160 kilometres southwest of Byron Bay, which is where Marion's bank account was being drained around the same time. Sally can't recall her mother having any friends or relatives in that area. Believing her mother didn't want to be found, a disappointed and hurt Sally decided to get on with her life. On October the 24th, 1998, she married Chris Layden at the chapel of the Southport School, Marion's old workplace. But even though her mother had helped her book the chapel before her trip, she didn't show up for her daughter's big day. On the 1st of July 2003, Sally's grandfather, Marion's father Jack, died. His health was failing when his daughter went overseas and she was well aware of that, but Marion did not attend his funeral. On July 20, 2001, Sally gave birth to her first child, Ella, Marion's first grandchild. But again, there was no word from the brand new Nana. Then, on March the 6th, 2002, tragedy struck. Sally's brother Owen, Marion's beloved son, took his own life. Owen had his demons, he'd struggled with drugs. He was just 27 years old. Dad called me at 10.21pm. I had just finished feeding Ella at 10, so I just put her down and I just got into bed and kind of just dozed off and the phone rang and I remember thinking, looking at the clock, going, who would ring me at this time of night? And Dad rang me and he had some profanities to speak and, you know, in a stressed situation saying the police are here, he's done it, I've gone and I've got to go and identify him now at the morgue. And he was in a very panicked manner. He was not, it was not gently told to me, I was very abruptly told, but understandably Dad was really upset. So I jumped out of bed and I had, I put a robe on because it was like I was cold and I grabbed a photo of him and I just put it on my heart and I just tied my my robe really tight and I remember walking around the house going I don't know what to do I don't know what to do. Sally didn't know how Owen had been coping with Marion's disappearance 
It was something they didn't talk about. But suddenly, Sally wanted to find her mother. She wanted her to know what had happened to Owen. And she ramped up her efforts to track Marion down. In 2003, Sally got back in touch with the Salvation Army's Family Tracing Service and sought help to find her mum. She's kept all of the correspondence. April 15, 2003. Dear Mrs Layden, thank you for returning your signed application form to the Family Tracing Service. We want to ensure you that every effort will be made in our search. For three years, the Salvos carried out extensive searches in Australia and overseas. They encouraged Sally to do an interview and a story with Woman's Day magazine. Sally's story. Where are you, Mum? Seven years ago, 30-year-old Sally Layden's mother married... February 7, 2006. Dear Mrs Layden... But eventually, the Salvation Army had to admit defeat. And to indicate that, unfortunately, so far all of our searches have proved negative. Marion could not be found. In 2007, around the 10th anniversary of Marion's disappearance, Sally contacted the Australian Federal Police Missing Persons Unit. She spoke with the then team leader, Rebecca Cotts. I was working back late one night, actually, um, and uh, I took a phone call and on our 1800 line, the free call line into the Missing Persons Centre, and it was Sally. And uh, Sally introduced herself and wanted to tell me a story about her mother and um, who was missing to her in her life. So we spoke um, for quite a few hours that night, and I think, I think, if my recollection's correct, I probably spoke to her till about eight thirty that night, where she had um, explained the entirety of her understanding of the story of her mother's her mother's missingness. Um, and what she had done to date and, you know, every sort of bit and piece of her recollection. So we struck up an immediate rapport in that few hours. Um, she was very uh, poignant, uh, had a lot of detail around what had happened with the case, um, but was adamant that she didn't think enough was being done around where her mother was. Obviously there's so many missing cases every year and you can't look into them into the the level that you did with this one. What made this one different? Uh, I guess uh, in my position at the time, uh, cases that I did have the privilege of dealing with, I did tend to uh, get very involved with because I felt that the better I knew a case the better I could represent a family in the media and the more I could understand what had happened. Sally was a bit different where um, everything about her and her case as far as her mother's concerned uh, was very detailed and um, she kept such great records on things, I guess. She was very presentable. Um, the case just, it seemed so obvious to me. Um, and the fact that she was able to articulate it very clearly uh, made it easier for me to um, not just want to get involved, but easier for me to see that there could be a, an outcome to the case, I guess. So when you say it was quite obvious, can you explain like what your take on the case was? 
From the detail that Sally was able to present, uh, it seemed fairly obvious to me that this was an adult going missing of their own volition, which happens very regularly, where somebody chooses to walk out on their life because uh, there's issues in their life they don't want to face or they can't face and things like that. So it's not illegal, obviously, in Australia to go missing as an adult or to walk out on your life. So I felt uh, very early on in the piece that this may have been the case with her mother. So what then are the rights in relation to, like what, in, in Sally's case, what options are available to her? Well, I understand Sally probably um, was explained this process early on and I definitely reiterated it in the conversations that I had with her that if her mother, Marion, had decided that she wanted to walk away from her life, that was her legal right and all that she needed to do was uh, let authorities know that she was okay and um, they would then pass it on to the family, but no personal details of her whereabouts or where she would go, where she was going, or, or whatever she was doing would be passed on. Did that happen? Uh, the AFP is not an investigative team, so we weren't involved in the investigation. I, I couldn't tell you whether or not that's what the outcome was. Rebecca said that Marion's case will be profiled for Missing Persons Week in 2007. Sally agreed to front the media campaign, but at the very last minute she was dropped from the project. After speaking with her initially, I had gone to my coordinator at the time and uh, sought approval to go up to Brisbane and meet with Sally because I felt that there was a really good story here and possibly something that could heighten the profile of missing persons and the issues around people wanting to walk away from their life. So I went up and I met extensively with Sally face-to-face and um, I I definitely agreed with her that there was uh, a situation here that I felt we could really support, get behind and raise the awareness of that. Um, After coming back to Canberra, I then presented to the states and territories the case that I wanted to promote for Missing Persons Week, um, that being Marion Barter, um, and was advised by New South Wales Police that we couldn't follow through with that for investigative reasons. Those reasons were never followed through or, or conveyed through to us. What it seemed to come down to was that 10 years earlier, someone claiming to be from the New South Wales Police told Sally that Marion had been located. Sally received the following email from the AFP, the Australian Federal Police. Dear Sally, I would like to confirm the details of the discussion you and I had yesterday regarding the decision to withdraw the use of your mother's story for this year's launch. We cannot utilise the story for National Missing Persons Week 2007 due to the current sensitivity of the case. I explained yesterday that we need to respect the privacy of both yourself and your mother given that it appears that your mum has been located by New South Wales Police and that at those times your mum had decided not to resume contact with your family. I also wanted to acknowledge the hard work and amazing dedication you've made in trying to locate your mother over the last 10 years. I hope that the current investigation gives you the results you've been waiting for so long to achieve. I'm also hoping in the future that other media opportunities may arise that would be more suitable to your story. Please let me know if you think this is an option for you. If you require any further information of the details surrounding your mother's case, you can contact the New South Wales police officer currently responsible for the investigation. As always, both myself and the staff of the unit are available to you for whatever inquiries or advice you may need. Kind regards. Sally was extremely disappointed and sent an email back to the AFP on July 23rd, 2007. 
Hello, I am very saddened to read your email. My family, myself and my mum's many friends saw this opportunity of hope, a great chance to locate my mum and hope to have her come home safely. I was very surprised by a phone call from one senior constable from Missing Persons New South Wales on the 11th of the 7th to hear that it is their opinion that my mother is not a missing person just because she apparently said she didn't want to be found 10 years ago. I say apparently as the questions I was asked by the senior constable have led me to believe that New South Wales Police have no records of who it was who took my report at Byron Bay 10 years ago or who called me to advise me that my mum did not wish to be found. Due to this, I will be requesting full documentation from New South Wales Police Missing Persons Unit to show me evidence that my report was handled correctly 10 years ago. This doubt arose when I was asked several times by the senior constable, did I remember the person who took my report or who it was who called me to say that they had found her, of which I cannot recall after 10 years. The senior constable then said, quote, I need to find out who took the report and who told you they had found her. Seems strange to me, as I would have thought this would all be on record. I also found it strange to be asked again of my mother's details, of which I gave in my report 10 years ago. Coincidentally, now six months of hard planning, timely phone calls, emails and planning around having a baby to come down to Canberra, Sydney and Melbourne for the launch of Missing Persons Week, I now have been pulled from the launch due to matters within the New South Wales Police. I will be asking the Senior Constable why this is the case. I do thank you very much for your help. Sincerely, Sally Layden. Sally's email to the AFP was then forwarded to the New South Wales Police. Dear... I've been asked to make sure that you have all of the information that pertains to Sally Layden's case file information. I received this email on Monday. Kind regards. What followed was an email trail between the two agencies. We've acquired the correspondence through a Freedom of Information application. Many names and paragraphs in the documents have been redacted, so it can be a little difficult to follow. This is what we've managed to glean. On July 27, 2007, an inspector in the New South Wales Missing Persons Unit responded to the AFP. Thanks. It appears as though Sally is seeking a scapegoat for this issue. I'm led to believe that only as recently as in the past months her mother was spoken with and refused to make contact with her daughter. What was done is totally correct. I await her submission. Then on Friday, August the 10th, 2007, the following email was sent from the AFP. It's not known to whom, as the names and email addresses have been blacked out. It may, however, be an internal email for someone else within the AFP. Following on from receiving this email, I phoned to try and clarify some of the information he had as I knew it was incorrect. Some of his comments were as follows. As I have been informed by... Her mother was located recently again and doesn't want anything to do with her family. The next two points have been blacked out entirely. Then there's this. After several other completely inappropriate comments, I let know that Sally's mother had not been located recently and that maybe the information he had received around this was incorrect. Again, a large section comprising several lines has been edited out before the following has made many inappropriate comments to Sally, such as the New South Wales police are trying to fix what the AFP can't do. Another redacted section. Then... Hope this helps you. Good luck with your confrontation. So what does this all mean? Was the AFP at odds with the New South Wales police on this case? Why? And has anyone really ever located Marion? If so, who did, when and how? 
With the advent of social media, Sally found a new forum. She set up a Facebook page called Missing Person Marion Barter and detailed her mother's case, appealing for anyone with information to come forward. Missing Person Marion Barter, age 51 years old. There were plenty of messages of support from former students, acquaintances and even strangers. I'm devastated. She was my choir drama teacher at Springwood Public. I remember her so well because she went above and beyond the call. Even if you did say, I give up, your brain and your heart would never let you stop trying to find an answer. It was through a message posted to this Facebook site that Sally discovered Marion was not on the National Missing Persons list. I had a lady private message me and said, I've just looked at at the missing persons list and your mum's not on there. And I went, what? What do you mean she's not on there? So anyway, I went on there and sure enough, she wasn't on there. Sally says she contacted Rebecca from the Australian Federal Police, the AFP, who claims Marion was possibly never on the register. When you're talking about the um, missing persons register and and, uh, that's obviously maintained by AFP, was she still on the missing persons register at this stage or what happened? Uh, No, so she wasn't on our register to start with. So Sally was asking for her mother to both be uploaded to our national database but also then be promoted and, and seek media attention to raise awareness of her missingness. As a part of our protocol, I then contacted New South Wales Police to seek permission to be able to do that like we would with any missing persons case. The AFP doesn't own those investigations nor the rights to promote them. They have to seek permission from the owning investigative team. With that, New South Wales Police came back and said, no, we couldn't promote the case. We couldn't add her to the database for reasons best known to the investigators. So was she ever on the register? Uh I don't think I couldn't, I I can't remember if I uploaded her at the time. I don't think I would have because I would have had to have gotten New South Wales permission. Um, I know there's always been the active Facebook account that Sally runs and I know there's a lot of profiling of her, but after I met with her in Brisbane, we had decided we wanted Sally to be the face of Missing Persons Week that year. So we may have done some promotions of that prior to the event, but New South Wales quickly put a stop to that and said that we, they didn't want us using that case. Would you have liked to have been able to keep pursuing it? Yes, I was obviously very hamstrung by the fact that our team were not police officers and we were not investigators. Um, I, I just would have loved to have been part of finding those answers for Sally, as I think at the very least that's what she deserves. Um, I did find it really frustrating when I couldn't then follow up with a lot of things because I felt that uh, there was answers that could have been sought from different avenues. Um, but ultimately, I think Sally just deserves to know either way. The thing is, Sally specifically had the police file change from an occurrence, as it was listed in 1997, to a missing person case in 2007. An email we acquired through Freedom of Information, proves this. It's dated July 11th, 2007, and it's from an officer in the New South Wales Missing Persons Unit. All names, apart from Sally's, have been redacted. It states, 
On 1997, Sally Barter, the daughter of attended Byron Bay Police Station in regards to her mother. Police at the time created an event as an occurrence only and not as a missing person. From the 6th of the 7th, 2007, has been recorded as a missing person and is being investigated as such. Senior Constable... Sally says her mother Marion was on the missing persons database. The person who decided to remove Marion from the list? Gary Sheehan, I'm Detective Senior Constable at uh, Byron Bay Detectives. When was she removed from the database or delisted as missing? From memory it was around 2012 and it was at my instigation. There's certain criteria for missing persons for them to be on the database. One is that they are in fact a missing person and in order for them to no longer be a missing person in that circumstance there are two things that can occur. One, they can be visually sighted by police, which would then remove them from the database. And the second one is that uh, in all the circumstances that are known, that is, uh, whether it be through uh, evidence, information, um, or a set of circumstances, uh, it's the belief of investigators that she doesn't fit the criteria of being the definition of a, a missing person and that there are no fears held for her safety. Now, after having done the investigation that I did, I found out about her movements coming back to Australia and, and her unusual behaviour uh, in what I believe is trying to remove herself from the family. But there's been nothing to suggest that she is in grave fear of her safety. And I know that Sally suggests that maybe that did happen, but there is nothing to suggest that has come out in evidence that that is actually the case. So I, uh, I instigated a report to the missing persons unit and the manager of the missing persons unit concurred with what I had to say. And as a result of that, she was brought off the database. But that doesn't mean that I haven't been doing work on this. I mean, there are some things in your career that stick with you. Uh, and this is one of those cases. Um, Sally's a lovely lady. I've, I've met a family, I've met a kids. If there's a chance that I could do good for Sally and try and find her mother, then that's what I'd like to do. Over the years, there have been a number of New South Wales police officers connected to the matter. The first, Senior Constable Graham Childs, who took Sally's original report in October 1997 at Byron Bay. Another, Senior Constable Stephen McAllister from the Missing Persons Unit. Detective Sheehan has looked after Marion's case since 2009. Well, Gary, how difficult has this investigation been? Brian, it's been an unusual one in that um, normally jobs that I do, we have offenders, crime scenes, things like that. This one is unique in its nature in that it's gone on for such a long time. And it's been very, very hard to try and work out what has happened. So um, I know that Sally has put her heart and soul into trying to find her mother, but it's been very difficult um, because of the passage of time. But also it's, it's, it's a different sort of um, investigation to what I normally do. Uh, so it has been, it certainly has had its challenges. When police initially received the missing persons report here in Byron Bay, how long did they think it would take your colleagues to find out what had happened? Based on what happens with most of these cases, the vast majority, people are found within days or weeks. Yeah, look, the, the report was made a long time before I started work at Byron Bay, so I don't know what their expectation was, and it's very, very hard to say. Um, you know, I can't speak for, for others that went before me. Uh, in general terms with missing persons, uh, from my experience, I can say that 
each one is unique. Uh, they are all very, very different. Some are solved within a matter of hours. Some are solved weeks, months. Some are never solved. Some people want to be found. Some people don't want to be found. The thing that strikes me with this one is just how much potential information there is around bank accounts, passports, identity, movement, postcards, travel, people, behaviour, rumours. It, it really does seem to be um, the most complex jigsaw around a missing person that I've encountered. What's your experience? Yeah, look, it has been more work than most of the jobs that I do. I have to reiterate too that when I first got this job, there wasn't a great deal that was known. Uh, I came across a lot of what you just mentioned over the period of time that, I, that I've looked at it, and it certainly painted a different picture to what I th first thought it was. When I spoke to Sally, she gave me a rundown of basically her life and her mother's life and the relationship that uh, she had with her mother and also relationships that her mother had with other people. And it wasn't until I started delving in and, and, and looking at a few things that uh, it made this job very, very different to a lot of the others that I've done. Although he's never seen her in person, Detective Sheehan believes Marion is alive and has a new identity. He investigated the fact that Marion's passport had returned to Australia on August the 2nd, 1997. That's the day after she last made contact with Sally from England. That passport expired in 2007 and there has never been any attempt to renew it. Detective Sheehan also discovered that Marion had changed her name by deed poll before her trip overseas. She travelled under the new name Florabella Natalia Marion Ramakel, a married housewife from Luxembourg. Once I started uh, looking at what Sally had told me about her mother um, wanting to go on a holiday to, to England, um, and then basically from there, not being seen or heard from again, I found out that uh, there were things that Sally didn't know about. And, and I'll just give you an example. When I started looking at her movements from leaving Australia, I found that prior to leaving, um, Marion had applied for a new passport in a different name, um, which caught me by surprise. I certainly wasn't expecting anything like that. But it, it painted a, a picture of a, a totally different type of investigation, given that here I was with information that the family didn't know about. And it, it appeared to me as though it was something that was premeditated by Marion for whatever reason, uh, and that she kept it away from her family um, so that they, had, they were none the wiser. They just thought that she was on a holiday to England. As I looked a little bit deeper, I found that um, she had actually come back to Australia uh, on the same passport. So that is the passport that's in the new name. That's Florabella Natalia Marion Remekel. That's correct, yeah. Rem Remekel, I think it's pronounced, but I could be wrong. She travelled uh, overseas on that passport and she came back on that passport as well. The whole impetus for this job was, I think, Sally realising there was some money being taken out of her mother's account down here at Byron Bay and other places as well. So once I knew that information, uh, I started digging around a little bit further to, to see whether there was anything to suggest that Marion had in fact come back to Australia other than what I could find out through the passport movement and incoming passenger cards. And I found that uh, her Medicare card had also been used 
only a number of days after she had come back to Australia. It then started to dawn on me that the money that was coming out of the accounts was at a time when Marion was back in Australia. It became more complex. It went away from the traditional missing person to a position where I believe that it was possible that Marion had deliberately done these things and decided for whatever reason that she no, lo no longer wanted to be associated with her former life and was possibly setting up a new life for herself. So it, it took on a completely different type of job once I, I got into it. Florabella Natalia Marion Ramakel. Marion's new name. Sally was stunned. Uh, I'm looking at a police report here, Sally, from um, the 5th of May 2011. And Officer Nah says he rang Chris and told him he had some news about Marion that uh, she'd changed her name prior to leaving on her holiday and that it appears as though it was designed to assist her in disappearing. What did you make of that? I first I heard of that was what actually happened was the detective Gary Sheehan rang Chris and said um, I've got some information but I want to actually come and see you guys to tell you rather than tell you over the phone. So he came to our house and he brought with him a piece of paper that had some information on it um, that he suggested we kind of have a little graze over while he went to the bathroom. Um, on that piece of paper it had my mum's passport details and it had a name change on there to some random name, Florabella, Natalia, Marion, Ramakel. And my mum didn't have a, a middle name, so she was just flat out Marion. And I thought that was quite odd. And the documentation also said that she was living in Luxembourg, status married, and occupation was home duties and that she was coming to Australia for three days. However, police have confirmed to me that customs told them that the passport never left the country again, which is baffling to me a little bit. So who is this Flora? No idea. I've never heard of the name Flora Bella in my life. I have no idea what that is about or who that's about. Other family members and friends were just as shocked when they heard about the name change. This is Marion's sister, Deirdre. That's weird. <laughs> it sounds almost cultish, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Actually, one of my sons suggested that that's what happened to her, that she, you know, joined the Scientology or something because they that's one of the strategies that they use with their con converts, isn't it, to take them away from their family, telling them to break all ties with their family and... So he, that was his first impression. Oh, she's joined a cult. And then when she went to um, Tunbridge Wells, and the postcard I got came from Tunbridge Wells, he said, well, that proves it because, you know, that's a big Scientology centre there. So, yeah, that's a possibility as well. I mean, there are other possibilities. Would that be in character for her? Um, no, but, you know, people... People get vulnerable at certain stages of their life, don't they? And, you know, they can be pretty persuasive, Those some of those people. So, yeah, possibly. It's a possibility, definitely. And her old friend, Janice. I was quite um, stunned, I think. I was probably speechless. Um, yes, it's, um, well, it's extraordinary that 
Marion would change her name, um, she had always been Marion. So she hadn't even used you know, like a, a second name or anything else like that at any time. She'd always been Marion. So, but and then it's such an extraordinary name um, that, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess I'm still speechless because it, and uh, because yeah, I'm uh, amazed. So when you heard that, did you think for the first time that? Maybe she she has started a new life. Like maybe she did go that one step further. Um. Yeah. Yes. I guess you'd have to. Um. You'd have you'd have to think that that um that she wants to to leave her past life so far behind that she creates an extraordinary new name. And um, yes. Yeah, no, I said I, I can't, I have got no um, idea why she would have done that. Do you think it was in her nature to want to, I guess, leave her old life behind if she had a choice? There had always been consistencies. Why she might change houses and workplaces and all that, she always taught and she loved teaching. So I, I, I don't know. I, and and um, and she loved her children as well. So I can't, I I I can't come to grips with it that that somebody would change. It's sort of I guess having such a, a such a different name in the in the name that she's um, created. I guess does indicate that she does want to you know change her life, but she also wanted to retain Marion and and. and and part of who Marion is, not just the word, not just that particular name, but Marion is in there, and and that sort of indicates to me that the real Marion is still part of that new person. You've got to say it's true because it's on the records, but it's hard to believe that it is true, and that it's like she was holding on to a little bit of herself by keeping the Marion in there, even though it seems impossible knowing that that was the case uh i mean do you think potentially she is out there somewhere um in a new life oh only if she's been able to i mean i'd like to think that she was alive but i can't imagine that she would have left her family as a result of information about marion's name change and the return of her passport to australia the New South Wales Missing Person Unit determined that Marion could no longer be regarded as a missing person. The case status was changed to located in October 2011 and suggested that Sally was informed two months later in December 2011. But Sally says she only found out something was up when she asked Rebecca Cotts from the AFP to check Marion's file. And she came back to me and said, there's something on the file. I can't tell you what it is, but I need to get authorization to show it to you. So give me a couple of days. So she came back to me a few days later and it had been authorized. And I got the documentation that had been released to me. And on that documentation, it said that they had located my mother. They located her in October, 2011, and that they informed me in the December of 2011 that she had been located which is all false. No, no, one, no one informed you of that at all? That's on an AFP document, which I find ludicrous and really hard to understand and fathom. 
I was never told that they'd located her ever. So the first thing I did was go back to Rebecca and ask her what that meant. And she said, you're probably best to go back to Gary Sheehan, the detective, and ask him. So I went back to Gary that day and said to him, um, can you just tell me what this is about? And I, he asked me to read it to him, so I read it to him. And he was silent and he said, can you read it to me again? So I read it again. And he said, I've never located your mother. I don't understand why they would say that. Let me get back to you. Were you initially excited, exhilarated even, to see the words, we've located Marion Barter? No, because I was confused because I'd always been told that they'd never found her physically at all. So I was really frustrated. I don't remember being excited at all. I was like, no, that's not right. So um, he rang me back uh, a few hours later and he said, they've spoken to me and they've told me to apologise because it's a typo. And I went, good, excellent. I'm glad that that's a typo. That was not funny for me. I would thought that was really bizarre and... That, that's a big typo. Competent. That is a massive typo, massive. What part of it was typed wrong? Located, it's in capital letters. So anyway, he goes, I'm, they're looking into it, they're gonna get back to me. So he then rang me, I had a 20 minute conversation with him on the phone. And he told me that They've explained to him that at the missing persons unit, they have two boxes. They have a box here for people who are missing and they've got a box here for people who are found. And because the assumption is because there's a name change on her passport and because she sold her house, they deem that that is enough evidence for them to say that she's missing on her own account. She's disappeared by choice. Therefore Correct. So therefore missing. she's not missing. So we have to say she's located. I went, but you're telling me she's not located, so how can she be located? Well, we don't have another box for that. Here's Detective Sheehan again. I would like to find her and then perhaps give her the opportunity to say whether or not she wants Sally to know where she is. Uh, and I think that's respecting both Sally's right to know, but also Marianne or Florabella's right to have um, her own privacy. So if I could get to that stage, that's what I'd like to happen. And even though, like I said, she's not on the database, it's still something that I will look at from time to time and, and try and get an ending one way or the other. That, that's great, Gary. And I know Sally has spoken at length about um, how much strength she draws from your interest in the case and your enduring interest in the case. Um, she was, I guess, a little mystified, uh, um, curious as to why she wasn't notified or says she wasn't notified when her mother was declassified as missing in 2012. Was that um, a, a conscious decision not to tell her or was that a, a bureaucratic thing? How did that play out? No, once, once I found out all the information and I was, I was satisfied with my interpretation of, of the evidence that I had found, I actually went up to Sally's house and, and spoke to her. I thought at that stage that I had made it fairly clear to her that uh, her mother uh, didn't fit the criteria of a missing person that I was going to take some steps to remove her from the database. Now if Sally thinks otherwise then perhaps I didn't make myself clear enough um, and if that is the case then I apologise but uh, it was my understanding that I had explained that to Sally and that's what was going to happen. 
And what's their status currently? It's, it's a case that is still active. Of course, we don't close these sorts of cases. While she's not on the database, she still is a person that I think needs to be located, if at all possible. So it, it's still a, an active case, uh, but it's not a case that I'm working on constantly. Uh, when I get time, I have a look at it. And, and the reason for that is because there is nothing for me to go forward with. It's very close for me to, to getting as far as I can through information, through departments and things like that. So there's not a great deal that I can do, but what I have done over the last few years is update the checks with all the government agencies to see whether uh, the name has come up on any of the uh, databases. And uh, if there had been, then certainly it would have been something I was talking to Sally about. But unfortunately, to this date, there's, there's been nothing. Well, hopefully what we're doing now will generate something new. Yeah, look, I mean, I know Sally has been passionate about this, uh, especially getting involved with the media, and I think it can only be a good thing. Uh, as, I, as I said, you know, we have to be careful about Marion's privacy, but if we got to a point where we could talk to her and find out uh, whether she wanted to sit behind that privacy provision, then at least we would know what has happened without pulling her back into a life that she may not want to be in. So, if Marion's not missing and she's not found, where is she? There's an assumption that she's living a new life under a new identity, but how can anyone be sure? And there still remains the issue that no one has seen Marion in person since 1997. Sally told me when she first reported her mother missing, just down the road here at Byron Bay Police Station, in October 1997, about a week later, the sergeant or someone at the station called her and said, we've spoken to her, she doesn't want to be found, she says she's okay, and essentially closed the case. But in the case file, there's no record of that. Did you find any record of that conversation or that, that indication that it happened? No, I haven't been able to find anything like that. And again, uh, it's very hard for me to comment on something that happened back in 1997 and I had no involvement with whatsoever. But it's not in the file currently? You haven't seen a note or an address or a record of conversation with Marion? The first time that I realised that, well, well, understood that Marion had come back was when I discovered it myself in 2009 or 2010, whenever, that, whenever it was. Gary, um, I guess um, pointedly, um, Sally would like to know, just in case it is the case she's decided to go missing, Gary, do you know where Marion is? No, unfortunately I don't. And, you know, it would be great that I did know because I'd like to give Sally some closure. One thing, one thing I do have to say, though, in regards to that is that in situations like this, when people go missing and they set up new lives for themselves, and it's not uh, unknown for that to happen, uh, I think we have to be mindful, too, of the privacy of that person as well. You know, there, there are two sides to every story. In this particular case, uh, I haven't been able to speak to Marion, uh, neither has anybody. So we don't know what her circumstances are in regards to her deciding to do this. I mentioned the phone call Sally says she got a week after reporting her mum missing and then the family tracing service story from her grandfather. Have police, to your knowledge, ever cited or located Marion, spoken with her? Not that I'm aware of, certainly not since I've been involved in the investigation. I don't know what occurred prior to me getting the investigation, but there's been nothing that I've read that would suggest that. If I had all the information you have, Gary, would I be able to find Marion? 
No, I don't think so. I, I, I believe that Marion doesn't want to be found. I've done searches throughout Australia, in every state, and every territory, uh, for things like driver's licences, births, deaths and marriages, Medicare, Centrelink, the whole gamut of things that we normally look for for people who are missing. And I can't find a trace of uh, Marion. That's not to say that she's not here, but I just can't find her. And therein lies another problem. Marion's been removed from the missing persons list, even though she has not been cited. According to Rebecca Cotts, the former team leader at the National Missing Persons Register, this should not happen. So then what has to be the case for them to be taken off the list? Ultimately, if uh, the family decides they no longer want to promote, I mean, some families go through the ringer absolutely are torn about promoting and talking about their missing family member publicly. Um, but typically, if the person is located safe and well or located deceased, that will um, bring them off. If a case goes unsolved but there's a coronial and the coroner makes a ruling that the person, there's no sign of life, so he issues an open finding and the person possibly deceased, it still doesn't end the case. So they still don't stop promoting it. It's only if physical evidence of the person living or dead is found. When you say physical evidence, does that mean you actually have to see them? There would have to be, again, AFP not being investigators, um, that would be definitely up to the state and territory investigating, but they have to, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be happy that they've located the person safe or not. What is without a shadow of a doubt? They have to physically cite somebody. That's not an investigative term, that is a generic term within the protocols of missing persons for a missing person to be determined to be located or not the person actually physically has to be cited or remains have to be found. So when, because obviously you ask questions when you couldn't use the case, what were the answers that you received? So back when I asked New South Wales, they said that they had investigative outcomes that prevented them from promoting the case. Um, Without surmising my only... uh, interpretation of that at the time is that they had located her and she had chosen not to go back to her family. But that was my opinion at the time. It was not an informed decision through investigations. Did you pursue answers? Uh, I was outside of my rights to pursue answers. Not being a sworn police officer, I had no um, privy, I guess, to outcomes of an investigation. Okay. So they didn't say to you, we've cited her. That's so that's no, no. And you couldn't find that out? No. Okay. Um, so what do you think then now has happened? Like what do you, what's your opinion, I guess, you know, 22 years now? So what do you, what do you think or what are, the, what are the scenarios, I guess? I guess um, with my ongoing um, communications with Sally, I think uh, from her opinion, and this is, you know, through conversations, ongoing conversations, I guess – Sally has come to terms with the fact that she may never see her mother again through um, misadventure, that something may have happened to her and she may be deceased. My opinion on the case, I think obviously um, there's something that's happened to Mary and she hasn't just walked away from her life. She hasn't just walked away from everything she knows because in conversations I've had with Sally, her mother would never do that and she had so much to live for and loved her kids and her family. I guess... 
somebody out there knows the truth, somebody out there has the key to the puzzle and could provide that, you know, and I guess at the end of the day, regardless of my opinion, it, it would make a hell of a lot of sense for somebody to come forward with that information because obviously it's going to answer a lot of questions for Sally and her family. For every step forward, there's a step back. Despite the passing of more than 20 years, Sally feels she's not much further advanced in finding her mum than when she disappeared in 1997. Next time, growing frustration. Because I had so much contradicting information from police, and very strange messages on Facebook. Natalia is alive, but you never see her again. She said it's a bit like the sexual harassment you see a lot of today. She was subjected to that. If you knew Marion or have any information about her or her whereabouts, we'd love to hear from you. Our website is 7news.com.au forward slash The Lady Vanishes, where you can also email us. Oh, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. Presenter and executive producer, Alison Sandy. Presenter and investigative journalist, Brian Seymour. Producer and writer, Sally Eels. Sound design, Mark Wright. Transcripts, Charlie Daly Watkins. Graphics, Jason Blandford. The theme and much of the music by Nicholas Gasparini at thedarkpiano.com. This is a 7 News production.